Hi everyone, it's Joe Wigand from Medora, North Dakota, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park and home to the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation. With their help, we're starting Teddy Talks. The April program is called 26 Days with the 26th President. Each and every day, I'll be reading at length from some of what uh, Theodore Roosevelt wrote and spoke during his lifetime. Uh, as we go through, uh, I hope that you'll understand why Theodore Roosevelt at the State Fair in Minnesota on Labor Day 1901 told the people there to speak softly and carry a big stick. You will go far. Teddy Talks are proudly presented by the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation in Medora, North Dakota. To learn more about visiting or supporting our mission to connect people to the Badlands for positive, life-changing experiences, go to Medora.com. Now, enjoy the pod. Good morning, friends. Welcome to Teddy Talks for Saturday, April 11th, 2020. I'm in Medora, North Dakota. I enjoyed taking a moment there to see the morning light as it's cast upon the buttes at the approach to the Burning Hills Amphitheater, beyond which the Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library has said that they would like to build TR's Presidential Library. My heart is heavy today. I would like to dedicate today's performance to a uh, new and dear friend with whom I would have really enjoyed many more adventures, but we received sad word from Oaks, North Dakota, that yesterday morning, Dr. Jeffrey Rath passed a, a kidney failure, perhaps uh, some other health complications that occurred quickly. He, a young and vibrant man, just about 59, uh, if I have it right, Dr. Jeffrey Rath, uh, who was such a friend here in Medora, a wonderful audience member, and uh, along with his dear friend, uh, fishing and hunting partner, Art Conklin, uh, those men came with us last year to Cuba when we cruised uh, to Havana and then uh, uh, took our boat to uh, Cienfuegos, uh, took bus trips uh, around Cuba. Dr. Jeffrey Rath, uh, his son Andy and son uh, Tyler, his wife Dorothea, his mother Dolores Rath of Jamestown. Today's program is dedicated to Dr. Jeffrey Rath, friend, boon companion, wonderful eye doctor, and uh, again, my heart is heavy for uh, the family. Uh, I'll uh, have a little mention of Dr. Rath at the end. He's uh, and his son Andy have helped me to see, uh, form some wonderful uh, pince-nez glasses that I'm able to use in my dramatic presentations. Uh, I'll always be thinking of Dr. Rath when I uh, wear those uh, very important tools and adornments. So this is the uh, uh, program for Saturday, April 11th, 2020. Uh, today we will uh, begin with a very brief remarks. Uh, this has never happened before, brief remarks at Teddy Talks. But uh, you recall yesterday's program was Theodore Roosevelt in Chicago, April 10th, 1899, the famed uh, strenuous life speech. If you 
uh, would like, go uh, uh, visit that uh, speech, read it on your own, or, or listen to uh, the reading that was done yesterday. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, the governor, he takes the train to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and that following day, April 11th, 1899, addresses the students there. Uh, this is from a newspaper account, uh, so the, uh, the first portion uh, introduces the reader to the setting. Roosevelt at Ann Arbor delivers an address at University of Michigan. When Governor Roosevelt of New York alighted from the Chicago train today, he was greeted with a rousing University of Michigan yell. Governor Roosevelt was introduced to an audience of more than 3,000 by President Angel as, quote, one of those rare men who has not only written history, but has made history and has done both equally well, unquote. It was several minutes before the tumult of enthusiasm of the students subsided enough to allow the governor to be heard. Colonel Roosevelt spoke highly of the college men in his regiment and said that the university man in the war had earned the gratitude of the country. Said he, much has been given you and we have the right to expect much from you in return. You can do your duty in two ways. First, in the direction of common honesty. Second, in the direction of common sense. I am speaking from a political standpoint now. After a great many years of painful experience, I don't know which I regard with the most unaffected dread, the machine politician or the fool reformer. If you will not set yourself to try to solve as they must be solved, the problems growing out of the complexity of our social conditions, you can depend upon it. The lead will be taken by demagogues exciting the animosity of class against class for their own selfish purposes. Theodore Roosevelt, April 11th, 1899 in Ann Arbor, Michigan. This date in history, uh, uh, first let me back up on Michigan. Uh, this was in a posting last night on Facebook. Uh, Michigan was kind, the Wolverine State, to Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, in 1900, uh, McKinley and Roosevelt uh, bested uh, James uh, uh, William Jennings Bryan and Adlai Stevenson uh, uh, handsomely uh, in the state of Michigan. The uh, contest wasn't even a contest in 1904 when Michigan strongly endorsed uh, Theodore Roosevelt's election on his own right uh, to the presidency uh, against uh, uh, Alton Parker. Uh, Alton B. Parker of uh, New York, the judge. And then in 1912, when Theodore Roosevelt won only six states, uh, one state he won handsomely. It was the state of Michigan with uh, Taft and uh, Wilson uh, coming in distant second and third, just about uh, splitting an equal number of votes. So uh, on this date in history, April 11th, 1862, we have the birth of Charles Evans Hughes. And I just recommend him for your study as Charles Evans Hughes uh, uh, strode uh, with uh, some import across the stage and in the service of the people of New York and the United States uh, in the uh, late 19th and early 20th century. At the conclusion of his career, he served 11 years as Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court from 1930 to 1941. Uh, that service uh, and that uh, an appointment from uh, Herbert Hoover, but as you can 
uh, see, uh, lasted uh, uh, into uh, uh, quite well into Franklin Roosevelt's administration and, and took an important role in the court vis-a-vis -vis, uh, a good number of those uh, New Deal policies that the court reviewed. He served also as the 44th United States Secretary of State uh, uh, appointed by President uh, Harding, serving both uh, Harding and Coolidge in that position for four years, and had previously then served as Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States from 1910 until 1916, that appointment by William Howard Taft, and, and served uh, uh, as Governor of New York from 1907 until uh, 1910. It was uh, his resignation from office in 1910 to take that uh, nomination to the Supreme Court. It was also true that Charles Evans Hughes was the Republican nominee for the presidency in 1916. Uh, his vice presidential nominee was Charles Fairbanks of Indiana, who had served as uh, vice president uh, under, uh, uh, under uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt for Roosevelt's term elected in 1904, and Charles Evans Hughes almost became president. Theodore Roosevelt turned down in 1916 the nomination of the Progressive Party. Had he accepted the nomination, it would have been a fusion ticket. He would have run with uh, his old hunting companion, uh, the Democrat Colonel John Parker of Louisiana, in the future governor of uh, the state of uh, Louisiana. The uh, nation went to bed on election night 1916, and uh, most thought that likely uh, from the reports that had been coming in that, uh, that uh, Charles Evans Hughes had bested Wilson. But it was a very close contest. It was expected uh, that as many Republicans had done before, that uh, Charles Evans Hughes would uh, uh, carry California. Uh, but uh, California would go into Wilson's account Wilson winning the uh, presidency, 277 electoral votes to uh, Evans, uh, Charles Evans Hughes, 254. California carried 13 electoral votes. Had that state switched, uh, that would have been an election uh, won by Charles Evans Hughes. In California, with uh, 900,000 uh, uh, plus votes cast, uh, the difference was... Uh, 466,289 to 462,516. Less than 4,000 votes, 46.65% to 46.27%. Don't ever believe that your vote doesn't count. And that's for you, John Olson, Dr. Vote in Ankeny, Iowa. In 1898, on this date, President McKinley sent his message to Congress requesting uh, a declaration of war against Spain uh, over Cuba. Interesting to read in that document that, uh, uh, that while McKinley recounts much of the history that had occurred between the United States and Spain relative to Cuba, a, a, a difficult uh, set of confrontations, uh, most recently of which, prior to his message, is the blowing up of the battleship Maine in Havana Harbor on February 15th, uh, 1898. But his uh, justifications in asking for the war declaration are to bring a state of passivity to end the uh, conflict between the Cuban rebels fighting for independence and the Spanish monarchy. And, uh, well, it was a great deal more than just pacification. 
wound up occurring in Cuba. Uh, the, uh, uh, the history of the uh, war in Cuba is something that I would like to uh, uh, go into in greater detail as some of these dates in May and June and July uh, follow. If we have the opportunity to continue, which I, I'm sure we will. Part of why we know a great deal about what happened in Cuba is because of the uh, correspondence, the war correspondence uh, and the correspondence of soldiers and sailors deployed in Cuba. Of course, Theodore Roosevelt's uh, Rough Riders, uh, uh, published uh, after the war, uh, gives us the uh, viewpoint uh, of uh, Colonel Roosevelt. But others uh, were sending uh, reports before and during the war. One of them was Theodore Roosevelt's friend, Richard Harding Davis. Richard Harding Davis, a, uh, a correspondent, a writer of uh, uh, adventure novels and fiction, but also a man who reported on uh, conflicts in Cuba, the, the Boer War, uh, one of these uh, men who really established the, uh, the tradition of being a war correspondent. It was on this date, April 11th, 1916, that Richard Harding Davis uh, died at the age of 51 in New York City. We had a question come up when Theodore Roosevelt's remarks in Charleston were read. Uh, those were the remarks at the uh, Charleston Interstate and West Indian Exposition in April 1902. He reviewed that he'd been uh, under the command of Southern officers uh, whose uh, lineage uh, dated uh, to the Confederacy, either, the, either themselves or through their fathers. And it came up about, uh, uh, you know, exactly was that uh, accurate in in the uh, colonel's uh, recollections four years later, uh, three and a half years later. This is what Richard Harding Davis uh, wrote in, uh, in his uh, piece uh, that was uh, uh, reports from, from Cuba. He wrote, uh, he was, if, if we think of this uh, concept of the embedded uh, war correspondent, he was embedded, uh, was uh, very often uh, right at the elbow of Theodore Roosevelt in the field. And so he's uh, with Roosevelt as he makes this note. On the afternoon of June 30th, Captain Mills rode up to the tent of Colonel Wood and told him that on account of illness, General Wheeler and General Young had relinquished their commands, and that General Sumner would take charge of the cavalry division, that he, Colonel Wood, would take command of General Young's brigade, and Colonel Carroll of General Sumner's brigade. Of course, uh, the uh, uh, result is that Theodore Roosevelt takes command of the regiment. As he had command of the regiment, and then in his recollections afterwards, in Rough Riders, uh, Theodore Roosevelt mentions uh, Richard Harding Davis. The other journalist mentioned in this first excerpt is Ed Marshall, who was uh, wounded uh, grievously uh, in, in the uh, Battle of uh, Kettle Hill, San Juan Heights, July 1st. Uh, Roosevelt writes of him uh, and his heroism later, but he at first says that uh, there were also with us at the head of the column, two men who did not run away, who though non-combatants, newspaper correspondents, showed us much gallantry as any soldier in the field. They were Edward Marshall and Richard Harding Davis. June 24th, uh, Theodore Roosevelt uh, and uh, others in the American forces first engaged the Spanish at Las Guasimas. And uh, this is what uh, Roosevelt tells us uh, of the uh, fight that day. They're receiving fire from unseen Spanish forces, snipers, uh, 
using the Mauser uh, 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 German rifle and a smokeless powder so that their enemy is unseen from Roosevelt's Rough Riders. It was Richard Harding Davis who gave us our first opportunity to shoot back with effect. He was behaving precisely like my officers, being on the extreme front of the line and taking every opportunity to study with his glasses the ground where we thought the Spaniards were. I had tried some volley firing at points where I rather doubtfully believed the Spaniards to be, but had stopped firing and was myself studying the jungle-covered mountain ahead with my glasses when Davis suddenly, suddenly said, There they are, Colonel. Look over there. I can see their hats near that glade, pointing across the valley to our right. In a minute, I too made out the hats, and then pointed them out to three or four of our best shots, giving them my estimate of the range. For a minute or two, no result followed, and I kept raising the range, at the same time getting more men on the firing line. Then, evidently, the shots told, for the Spaniards suddenly sprang out of the cover through which we had seen their hats, and ran to another spot. We could now make out a large number of them. Richard Harding Davis, with his glasses, his field glasses, assisted Colonel Wood and the Rough Riders in the field at Las Guasimas, an action that uh, uh, would take both uh, Hamilton Fish and Alan Capron, the two of the finest soldiers in the regiment. Dr. Jeffrey Rath, with uh, his work with glasses, has given me the ability to, uh, to see and to uh, present Theodore Roosevelt to, uh, to my friend in the battles of life, how I wish we could have gone much further than we had together. I'll remember you in my future performances. So to uh, Dr. Jeffrey Rath, to his wife, Dorothea, the two sons, uh, Andy and Tyler, to the community of Oaks and to all of southeastern North Dakota that uh, knew him well. We send our love and best regards. And when we come to Medora, uh, we'll remember what friend Art Conklin told me. Jeffrey Rath was so very happy to know that his family was connected to Medora, a, an uncle, having had some of the property now associated with Burning Hills Amphitheater and, and with the Cowboy Cafe. A wonderful greasy spoon famed here in Medora and throughout the region. I wish you all happy Passover, a happy Easter. We'll see you here at Teddy Talks on Monday, April 13th. I hope you have a wonderful Easter. Godspeed. See you soon.